for joining us for Woke Moments, a conversation on issues and hot topics impacting young generations. My name is Janet Kelly, and I am the Executive Director of Sanctuary of Hope, as well as your host. So now let's jump into a moment of awakening. Woke Moments. joining you live for our first live podcast on youth and uh, young adults during this COVID-19 period season. And I am so grateful that you are able to join us for this discussion. Uh, My name is Janet Kelly and I'm the Executive Director of Sanctuary of Hope. And um, I'm very happy to have some of our Sanctuary of Hope team members who are able to share about um, COVID-19 and what COVID uh, or how COVID is impacting our youth and young adults and how our youth and young adults are finding or tapping into their resiliency in order to thrive. And so that's what our focus is going to be on today for our discussion. And so I would like to introduce uh, to you Gail White Biggers, who is a licensed marriage family therapist, as well as Jeremy Gibson, who is um, our permanent supportive housing intensive case manager. And so before we kind of get off into this discussion, I think it's very important to um, set the tone about why we're talking about um, youth coping and building the necessary protective factors in order for them to thrive. One of the things that we have not, um, we haven't seen in the news is how young people have had their lives utterly disrupted by COVID. And that disruption has included loss. It has included a range of emotions that may include grief. It's included a lot of uncertainty around what's happening or what's gonna happen, not only today, but what is going to happen tomorrow. And so it's very important to have these discussions around what this disruption has meant to them, to put it in a context of young people who are especially at a period of life where they're having the fastest kind of developmental growth And as they're going through this developmental growth and transitioning into adulthood, life looks quite different, especially for us mature folks who have had a lot of life experiences and have the ability to kind of navigate, deal with our emotions and have the ability to kind of regulate what happens as things are thrown our way. When we talk about resiliency in young people, it's helping young people to deal with life circumstances as life throws punches their way. And as life throws those punches, right, that young people are able to look at those punches that are being thrown and turn those punches into something, a learning opportunity a life skills opportunity, a life enhancement opportunity for them because it's a part of their own personal development and growth. And so that's why today we have with us our guests because one, they are on the front lines of dealing with youth who are coming in um, for services, whether those services are basic needs, rental assistance, general counseling, Uh, therapy services, education support, they they could share with you from a different perspective as a boots on the ground, what's happening and how we can foster better resiliency among our youth during this COVID-19 period. So before I start kind of with that, um, let's start with you, Jeremy, and let's talk about some of the things that you're seeing among our youth and young adult population um, right now, what are some of the challenges and opportunities that are out there um, with their young people as they are experiencing this COVID period? 
Well, I mean, from what I see, a lot of the participants are worried about everything that's going on. Um, but I've been using it as a way to help them, you know, gain some more self-sufficient skills. Um, use this as a time to start trying to figure out some things that you enjoy doing that you possibly wouldn't have time to do while we're on this quarantine. Start researching and start trying to pick up some new skills so that way when things do open up, because eventually things are going to open back up. And you want to be prepared and you want to be ready for when things do open up. And there could be some more new opportunities available. So for a lot of my, my participants, I've been keeping the ball rolling. Um, we can't let this thing just stop everything that we have going on. Um, currently, I have a participant right now that's at a job interview. Um, for all the youth that's out here listening, jobs are hiring. And for a lot of people that are on the quarantine, that means that a lot of positions are open. So with that being said, youth, keep applying. Keep applying for jobs. Keep looking. Um, don't let this stop you from going on, doing what you have to do. Um, but for my, for my participants, I just, man, just keep them afloat. Keep them knowing that things are going to get better. And like I said, a lot of the participants are taking this time to figure out some new things, some new crafts, um, trying to figure out who they are and take this time to really utilize it so that way when things do open back up again, you'll be better prepared. Right. And so, um, and with that in mind, because, you know, one of the challenges that has been out there, especially I, yesterday I read this economic development report put out by the Los Angeles County Roundtable. And basically what the report said is that this COVID crisis is going to hit the youth and young adult population the hardest because one, it's going to be difficult for many of them to enter back into the employment market right away and that they're going to be not only that they're going to be competing with the larger population of um, individuals who are seeking those employment opportunities as well and so with that in mind and knowing that as media and um, and other outlets are putting out information about how difficult or or how difficult the, the future is going to be what are some, so what are some tools and uh, strategies we should be thinking about in terms of how do we communicate with our young people in order to keep their resiliency up? Would you mind sharing on that, Gil? Absolutely. So first of all, Ms. Kelly, this is just a wonderful opportunity to share <laughs> with our Facebook family and our community and just working with Jeremy and working at Sanctuary Hope has just been a real dream come true to work with this population. So. Um, yes, what Jeremy shared is um, absolutely we are on the same page. We work together. Um, we are partnered with all the different programs through Sanctuary of Hope, but we are definitely keeping the ball rolling. And so when we think about uh, youth resilience and what you said earlier, um, I thought about this automatic switch that our participants have, many of them have, this automatic switch that just kind of turns on that says, despite these horrifying conditions, despite the uncertainties, um, I can still positively adapt. And so with that being in mind, we focus on that. We focus on that as case managers. We focus on that as life coaches. We focus mm -hmm. on that as uh, um, housing navigators, as me being their clinician. Um, I think that's the goal is to always keep that resilient peace in mind. And so with that being said and preparing for the future, um, one strategy is always focusing on their strengths. Now, as a mental health clinician, I'm always using evidence-based approaches, but like CBT or DBT and the list goes on. But at the same time during this crisis, I'm also focusing on their strengths. I'm also focusing on their ability to be creative, right? To find out what's happening with, with inside of them right now. A question I've been asking with our, our participants, I've been asking them over and over again, what's emerging right now? What's emerging inside of you during this quarantine? What's happening in here? What's happening in here? What's happening relationally? And we're building upon that in preparation for going back into the workplace. Um, so if that's decreasing symptoms, if that's focusing on their strengths, if that's nurturing their creativity, if that's self-care, um, I can go on and on with that. But that's what we're doing. We're making sure that they're still um, they're still able to manage, that they're nurturing that resilience or learning it mm -hmm. in preparation for re-engagement. Mm -hmm. 
So, I mean, one of the things, I mean, because we work with a variety of populations, we work with those who are housed, those who are unhoused, those who's, um, who are in the midst of housing instability, and then those who are housed but have maybe not so great households. What would you say have been some of the challenges related to uh, COVID and those young people as far as their, um, their balance of mental wellness? Well, you so go ahead, Gail? I'm sorry. So you want to go I'm ahead, Gail? You got it. Oh, sure. Okay. So you're so you're asking, Miss Kelly, um, what would I say to our participants, our youth, who are trying to navigate through COVID-19 and their family background is still a bit, I don't know, detached? Is that what you're asking? Yeah. So so what I'm so so I'm I'm gonna break it up in different parts because I think it'll okay. be easier. So we have young people come in for services that are housed, right? Mm -hmm. And so the delivery of services or the connections that you make to address their mental well-being is different than those who are unhoused, right? Mm, oh, I see what you're saying. Yes, you know what it does. At times it does feel different. My approach is always the same, but there are there is a different kind of a conversation um, compared to clients who may be right now uh, couch surfing. It's different, right? So my level of just as their clinician right now and practicing this social distancing, the way I am even making myself available, I'm always available, but increasing that contact is important. Um, making sure that they are still engaged with supportive systems and finding compensation for those family members and you know that support that they might not be getting sleeping at a friend's house right those who are housed it is a little different sometimes they might be housed but they still feel this sense of loneliness um, depression so I'm always thinking about the factors that brought them into therapy in the first place they're still present either they're housed or not housed if they're living in their car something brought them to treatment so we're still working on that but at the same time i am definitely focusing on that social interaction that social connectedness because we know without it it's related to a lot of suicidal thoughts and depression housed or unhoused right right so jeremy you do a lot of the kind of in-house kind of case management working with with the young people who are in permanent supportive housing. So what does that look like in your kind of like in your daily work of engaging and addressing youth concerns related to COVID-19? Well, just to piggyback on what Gail said, the communication is key. Um, the fact that the participants feel like they can still communicate, me, communicate with me as if there isn't a COVID-19 issue going on is very important to them. Um, I know one thing that's hard is with the social distancing is that they can't really enjoy their social life as much as they were. I think um, we all do. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 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 But really for the participants, you know, that were, that are just getting into housing, they were kind of in a lifestyle where it was very transient, where they had a lot of friends that were also um, experiencing the same issues with housing as for them. So now that they have housing and, you know, they want to be able to invite people over and stuff, now they can't do that. Um, but again, even with that, you know, I just tell them, make sure you're checking in on everybody, check in on your loved ones, check in on your friends. Um, again, I've had some very in-depth conversations because of COVID-19, because I haven't been able to do a lot of in-face meetings. I've been having a lot of phone calls that span two to three hours and we're just speaking and getting some things um, off of our chest, just venting. And I really feel like this is a very beneficial time for a lot of us to just sit back and get to know ourselves a little better and work on ourselves internally. So that way, again, once things do get back to normal, because they will, we'll be able to add some more depth and add some more quality to who we are since we experienced this, you know, unfortunate time. Jeremy, I think you mentioned something that's very important when you just said that you, you're on the phone for two or three hours. So I don't think um, most people understand under the social context of COVID, 
how um, being a sounding board, just simply being a sounding board is beneficial to youth and young adults. So I don't know if you can expand on that a little bit more, either uh, you, Jeremy, or, or Gail. Sure, I can add to that too, Jeremy. Um, I know you have a lot more to share too. Jeremy is, he is awesome. <laughs> what he does. Oh my gosh, he's just awesome. But um, I, this is interesting for me too, because, you know, telehealth is something that I've always used in the past to check in on clients, to stabilize clients, to initiate, you know, welfare checks, right, or crisis calls. But now for the past few weeks, telehealth has been what we do as a practice, right? right. And so I'm even listening differently. I thought I was great at active listening. That's an intervention. <laughs> but now I'm listening different. Um, as Jeremy said, I am blown away by their comfortability, this age group of being on the phone and talking. And even now, hearing their conversations are different. I mean, they even say things like, Miss Gail, how are you doing? You know, they're, they're so comfortable in their setting, right? They become more vulnerable. So being able to, you know, really work with that vulnerability right now, they're in their space where they're comfortable, so they're really sharing a whole lot. Mm. Yeah, so it's good. So, so we, we, a lot of times we don't look at when we're addressing youth and their kind of mental well-being, their health well-being, or just well-being in general, we never look at it from a um, positive strength-building aspect of it because we always focus in on, okay, what's the deficit in this and then build from there. Mm -hmm. Whereas, you know, I think one of the greatest benefits um, for Sanctuary of Hope and how we've kind of focused and geared ourselves is how do we focus on the resiliency within our young people? And how do we ensure that we tap into that? And also, um, how do we build upon it in order for them to, to get to a point of long-term stability? And so what, do you, what are some protective factors? Um, what are, yeah, so what are some of the protective factors that we're working with some of our youth on during this whole COVID period to address their overall well-being. Yeah, Ms. Kelly, you literally took the words out of my mouth. I was gonna say, you know, I use the things that they've experienced as ways to tell them like, hey, this is strength. And you've been through, you know, a multitude of things. So this is just another walk in the park, to be honest. And I'm very optimistic. I'm one of the most optimistic people that my yes, participants know. <laughs> <laughs> and, I just, you know, I use it as a way, again, to let them know, like, hey, you have the strength in you, but also let them know that it's okay to be vulnerable at times. You know, right. we don't have to always be strong. That gets tiring when you have to always want to maintain the strength. It's like when you're working out and you're constantly, constantly working out and you don't give your body time mm -hmm. to rest, your muscles start breaking down. So I like to also reiterate to the participants and the youth out there, it's okay to have your moments of vulnerability. It's okay to have that moment of weakness so that way when you get through that moment go ahead and have that time of weakness and then go back to the task at hand and get back onto the strength how much do you, of that do you think is culturally because you know oftentimes we're, we're told you got to be strong you got to tough it out you got to get through that how much do you think of that as cultural i'm just curious <laughs> 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 well, a, 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 a lot of it's cultural, a lot of it's cultural, mm -hmm. um, but, you know, just as a country, we, we have many of times in history where we exuded strength, right. um, but, you know, I think it gets, it gets, you know, oversighted that we have to always be strong, always be strong, and sometimes everybody doesn't have the ability to be strong all the time. And we don't embrace the vulnerable part or the weak, weak side of us. And it allows for an unbalance to happen. So when you're constantly, constantly trying to maintain the strength, and when you have a breakdown, you have a major breakdown. So right. kind of try and balance it out. Um, I know culturally, me speaking for the Black experience that I've experienced, strength was everything. Right. And um, just in the male culture, uh, of the black experience that I've experienced. Strength is everything. And as a black man, it's hard for us to show vulnerability or weakness at times. So, so Gail, can you um, continue on with, continue on with 
um, some of the perfect protective factors that um, we're working on with some of our youth and young adults to help them focus on and build their resiliency during this COVID period. Absolutely. So what I have learned working with our participants too, or any client is the more you nurture the youth strengths, um, we are, I know like when I'm sitting in the room with clients, I am a story keeper. That's what I do. I sit there from day one and I am, I am building a story. They don't know it, but I'm listening from their infancy, what they remember about learning how to walk to what brought them into treatment, what they see this of going in the future. It's a story. So I'm always listening for exceptions. I'm always listening for how they were able to, you know, engage in life. Um, being in the foster system or, you know, developing an illness or whatever it is, I'm always listening for those moments where they bounce back. So the more you nurture those strengths and you validate those stories and you validate those exceptions, you start to see this direct effect on their self-worth. And sometimes it's not immediate, but I see it. I can see that they are now they're enrolling into school. Now they're catching a bus more when they were more isolated. Now they're making every session, right? So you start to see it. They don't see it immediately, but I know that self-worth is a protective factor, Ms. Kelly, um, that social involvement is, that social support. Those are protective factors. Like Jeremy said earlier, yes, it is very cultural, right? Um, there are times that I have to, I have to also, being an African-American woman, say, wait a minute, Gail, Call on your girlfriends, right? You don't have to do this by yourself. And so I think like with Sanctuary Hope, what I love is this team-based approach because I know that I'm a counselor. I know my what I do. I can do this. But when I hear them bring up other names, right, and I, I use those relationships to reinforce that you don't have to do this alone, right? right. So I would say, what would Jeremy say? What would my son say? What would Tiana say? I bring in these names on purpose so that they know, hey, I got a village, right? right. And my village looks like me. So right. it's awesome. Right. And I think I think this whole notion of togetherness, this unity around um, COVID becomes very important because as young people have stronger support systems, right, we're helping them to to develop or build on their fortitude to get through this. And even within our support systems, how do we create these positive futuristic outlooks so that you can see, yes, this is a period of time, I'm gonna go through something, but during this process, there is some building I could do, which is the meantime, in order to get to the end, which is the joy. And I, I just use the word joy because I think it's important for us to, when we talk about young people, COVID, just in general, how do we teach and get folks to see and feel joy as a part of, um, as a part of well-being, as a part of, you know, balancing your, your mental wellness? Because even with coping, coping means, you know, you have to have all these tools in order to get to your end product. And I know for me, my end product oftentimes is what's my joy? What's my happiness? You know, what's my satisfaction? Mm -hmm. And so um, can you share like some of the activities that you think are very helpful for youth and young adults to help them? with coping and getting to like the end product, the, the positive outlook on their future? Well, I know for me and my participants, you know, they, they don't have a positive outlook because they've been through so much. Mm -hmm. So, and it's hard for them to really express the things that they really like and, they, and that they really enjoy because they feel like a lot of the things have been taken away from them. So we're at stages, I'm at stages with my participants where we're just now trying to figure out what are some things that you really enjoy doing. So some of the activities that I like to do is, is getting them to just close their eyes and take themselves back to any time in any happy place where they've been or where they've experienced that moment. And how can they expand upon that feeling 
to whereas we can find more things that's going to give you that same type of feeling. So kind of not detailing what that moment was, but the outer layer of it, how did it come to that? How did you get mm -hmm. to that point? What were the makeups of it? What were the people that were around you? Start trying to figure out those things. And I also try and utilize that in a way where I can translate that into today, into reality and what's going on and how we can build upon that. But it's very difficult. One of the most difficult questions that I ask participants is, what do you enjoy doing? Mm -hmm. And it's so hard for them to really explain what they really enjoy doing. Wow. Wow. And so how do we get them to that point, Gail? <laughs> <laughs> From a clinical point of view. <laughs> I laid it right over the plate for you, Gail. Right <laughs> over the plate. <laughs> Knock it out the park. For you. <laughs> I know, right? I love it. I love the setup. I love it. So, you know, what Jeremy says, you know, it's very individual. You know, it's very individual. And it does sometimes goes back to that, that hardwired resiliency. You know, sometimes we're teaching our participants to be resilient. How does that look? You know? And it's that groundwork of building upon those strengths, like we said earlier, over and over again. And there are some who just have this quick bounce back, right? Right. Um, I've been through worse, you know, and this ain't nothing. You know, this is just, you know, a flu, right? I mean, it's like, so you, you'll have these different experiences. But um, I think the important thing is teaching for participants or youth that find themselves that cannot find joy. What Jeremy did is, what he does is great, you know, that mindfulness, that teaching them to be in the absolute moment, it's work. And I actually spend sessions just being mindful, you know, what does that Tootsie Roll taste like, right? Describe mm -hmm. those flavors. What does this Jolly Rancher taste like, right? Mm -hmm. um, what do your pants feel like? What does your hair feel like? What is your texture? So trying to get them connected to themselves in the moment. And sometimes it takes that from the ground up. I want you to feel your own self first mm -hmm. before you can connect to feeling others, you know? But it could be something like that or something as practical as, um, as Jeremy said, there is this intervention that I do use that I love to use it. I give a story and I ask some questions and I will allow them to answer the question in their ideal way, right? Mm -hmm. So it can start from your ideal day to how you're getting to work. Are you on the bus? Are you getting chauffeured, right? <laughs> I mean, I let right. them go for it. And let me tell you, most of the time, they are shocked by what comes out of them. They didn't know they wanted to live on a farm. They didn't know they wanted to be near animals. They didn't know they mm -hmm. wanted to be an executive, right? They didn't know they wanted to live by the beach. And they were like, this is the first time I've ever shared that. I didn't know it was there. So yeah. that's a long answer. But it, but it works. <laughs> and you find it for the individual. Oh, that's yeah, I just, I, I just do a lot of digging. I do a lot of digging. I ask a lot of questions to get the most out of them just so they can start realizing some things about themselves. It, you know, it's one thing to internalize it, but it's another thing to voice it and hear it for yourself and then receive feedback. It's very important. Absolutely. So, Jeremy, and I, I do want to say to the audience that's watching us on Facebook, you're more than welcome to ask any questions. Just be sure to post those questions in the um, Facebook live chat, and then um, we'll pull those questions and then we'll pose them to Gil and Jeremy. And so Jeremy, you, I mean, one of the great things that um, I think all of us here at Sanctuary Hope appreciate about you is that um, you are like our go-to person as it relates to housing and working with um, landlords and helping our youth and young adults um, navigate and find those, um, those housing opportunities. Because we, we know that housing is the great stabilizer at the end of the day. If you don't have housing, it's gonna be hard to find employment. It's gonna be hard to deal with your, your mental wellness or mental well-being. It's just gonna be pretty hard to go forward in a lot of your personal development doesn't mean that you won't go forward. It's just that the barriers are just a little bit harder for you to kind of get over that hurdle. 
So what would you say, um, because you're, you work with a lot of the, the young people in which you're helping them kind of move into or, or move into or get into permanent housing, what has been kind of like some of the things that you've helped young people to learn in order to, to navigate in this COVID period into getting into housing? Um, well, I know for me, you know, my drive for, you know, this position and just buying them housing is over the roof, honestly. Um, I have the fortunate experience of, you know, apartment searching for myself and mm -hmm. filling out applications and having opportunities to interview for apartments with landlords. So I have the experience there, right? And right. then for, for the participants, I go ahead and I empathize with them because I put myself in their shoes. What would it look like for me if, if I was in this situation? Um, now, as far as navigating, um, housing is still there. And to be honest, this is a good time to get into housing right now. Um, you know, there are a lot of units that's open. Um, people that have units on the market now are seeing less and less people um, come in to check out the units because of the situations that's going on. But that doesn't mean that um, they aren't renting. Um, like I have a participant now that just um, had his voucher filled out and we'll be dropping this packet off and he'll be moving into permanent housing shortly. And one of the things that I've been working with him to prepare him is to just come up with a list of everything you feel like you need in your unit. Um, remember the things you had in your unit when you were living with your family or when you were going through with, um, when you were in permanent housing at a time in your life. Um, just being prepared and preparing them mentally because it's mentally, it's more the preparation than anything. Um, we have participants that are in transitional housing, um, emergency shelters. So they're so used to being around other people 24 hours a day. They're used to having assistance, on-site case managers, on-site therapists. All that changes once you go into permanent housing on your own. Mm -hmm. And I just try and mentally prepare them for that because the first six months, um, according to my ICMS training, is the toughest time for participants when they're moving into the new unit. Um, there's a lot of things that goes on in that first six months. There's loneliness, um, some depression can slip in um, due to the fact that you don't have the resources available to you. Um, you become fearful because now you have, you go from a place where you didn't have responsibilities of bills and making sure you had food and things like that to completely it being switched and now it's all on you and you're on your own. But the great thing about our organization and what we do is, is that we continue on to follow them through this path. Um, you know, you, Miss Kelly, as a leader, have created this standard of self-sufficiency. And that's what I thrive on as far as getting them to the point where they can say, hey, I can do this. I can pay my bills. I can fill out this money in order to pay my rent because I have a team like Jeremy and the Sanctuary of Hope team to help me if I ever had any questions or assistance. So it's really just being available, still communicating with them, still letting them know that you're there with them every step of the way. Do you want to add to that, Gail? No, I think he covered it all. <laughs> <laughs> I tried to roll another one for you, Gail. You can't keep doing that. <laughs> Thank you, Jeremy. <laughs> I think what you hit is, is very important, but I, I, I want to kind of talk about families because even you know some of the work that we do right now is trying to connect a lot of our young people um, or reunite them with their families, especially those who may have not left on the best of conditions. Um, some of them, some of may have been related to behavior. Some may have been related to something else. Some may have been related to just past histories of undiagnosed um, mental issues. And so during this COVID period, it's, it's I know that we recently um, have reunited three young people with their families, reconnected them um, back. But what would you say are some of the challenges right now um, associated with youth who are disconnected from their families and um, a need for them to reunite or even if you've reunited you? 
Yeah, that's a that's a great question. Um, we think about like COVID nineteen, and it feeling very systemic. You know, um, I would I'm pretty sure this pandemic is going to go down in history as a collective trauma, right? Yes. So we are all experiencing this together. So with our population, we understand that they probably many of them already feel this sense of alienation from the larger society already. And then you have that coupled with, you know, an estrangement from family members. So mm -hmm. it goes back to that social isolation. So that collective trauma now, it complicates, you know, <laughs> the social distancing or the physical distancing, right? So we're all, we're looking at all of those factors and it, it goes back, it goes back to trying to find some compensation for what has been lost in all of this. Mm -hmm. So right now, grief is returning, right? There's mm -hmm. this, this loss of relationships again, this loss of coworkers, there's loss of friends at the gym, you know? Right. Um, there, there's so many things that come up right now during this time. And so right. when it comes to the family component, really trying to assess if there are safe, healthy, familiar relationships that they can return to. Mm -hmm. you know, or even start the process of reconnecting. Who was safe for you? Who do you remember giving you the most joy? Even mm -hmm. if when you were seven years old, mm -hmm. uh, with my auntie. Okay, where's auntie? Right? Mm -hmm. So how can we connect with auntie? So just at their pace, helping them reconnect with safe people that they once trusted, or they're ready to now trust again, or finding that person. I kind of want to connect with my supervisor. I kind of want to connect with the neighbor, but I'm kind of afraid, you know, and working with that too, because sometimes we have to build family. That's right. not family, flesh and blood. Right, right. And I think when we, when we often talk about family, and that's one of the things that we talk about, even in through our family reunification, our family, um, uh, Family Connect program is that family is whoever you identify with. It doesn't have to be uh, a blood relative because okay. we've had people who reunified with a neighbor, or we've had people who reunified with a friend of a mother, or or um, even had folks reunified with a former foster parent. So it's how do you identify those families and family relationships? So what would you suggest as far as tools for um, families or those who are reached out to as being a family member um, during this COVID period, especially when young people, like I said, are often looking for a sounding board or they're looking for some type of emotional connection with someone. So what kind of tools do you think um, those individuals who are on the opposite end mm -hmm. of the youth, right, mm -hmm. should be kind of taking note of when young people are engaging with them during this COVID period? Yeah, that's a great question. You know, I'm gonna go back to something my, something my mama taught me, right? <laughs> and I think this advice was so great. Um, as a little girl, my mother always told me, Gail, mm -hmm. I bet not hear you asking people, you know, if there's a need, you know, call me. Yep. So my mother always taught me, Gail, you show up, you show up. You know there's a need, you show up. Um, if someone is hungry, you don't ask, are you hungry? You make a plate of spaghetti. Right. And you take it over there to them. So everyone I know, they don't think like that. It is about, if you need me, call me. And sometimes we fall into that. And that's no judgment on anyone, right? Because I know that that's sincerity too, to make right. it available. But to those on the other end, practice being intentional about how you show up for people, right? Um, you can just be observant of that young person on the bus, that young person, you know, that neighbor, you know mm -hmm. there's a need, right? Right. Just offer, just offer some part of yourself that you feel safe to give. So if that is some cookies that you made, mm -hmm. pack them up and say, I thought about you too, right? Um, if there is a $20, um, and I remember if I can use something, some church language, right? They used to call it holy handshakes back in the day. <laughs> so I'm going to slap $20 in your hand. It's a handshake. Nobody needs to see it, right? <laughs> Whatever you can do to build this 
awareness that they're not invisible. That right. you see them. I don't know how to be there for you, but in the relationship, allow me the time to learn. Great. That's fantastic. Do you have any um, questions? Okay. So I'm, I'm trying to open it up for anyone who may have any questions. Facebook Live for um, Gail and, and, and or Jeremy. So um, feel free to do that because our goal is to wrap up for sure by, by 12 uh, p.m. So one of the things that we I want to go back to is the culture, right? Because even as during this COVID period, we are hearing that one, for sure, um, African-Americans are contracting COVID at a high rate. Mm. And then for us, as we're working with young people, which more than almost 90% of the young people who come through our doors here in South LA and in the South Bay are, are, are Black youth. Um, what are some of the things as far as on the front lines are we working on to ensure that our young people are keeping themselves safe from COVID to that they understand exactly what COVID is? Because, you know, when we talk about social media and we talk about the news, there's so many different points of view and information that that's out there. For example, like last week, I literally spent two hours talking with one of our youth and we were talking about conspiracy theories and how, you know, they're not going to put it here. And then it's, it's already on the west side of town and it's not here really in South LA. And it's not, it's not really in the South Bay until you show them, hey, there's cases in Inglewood, there's cases in Hawthorne. There's cases in Lawndale. Um, so how do we kind of frame the conversation so that they know that they need to protect themselves and be safe? Well, I know for me, all of my participants are on social media and they're seeing all of the misinformation that's being put out there. Um, one of the things I like to express to them is, is regardless of if it's a conspiracy or not, it's here and it's real. Um, so one thing I've been just encouraging is, is to pay some attention to your health, um, reconnecting with your health insurance, figuring out who your primary care provider is. If you don't have one, let's link you to one. Um, let's start being more health aware, start doing research on this virus, start figuring out, you know, what part of the, the nervous system it's attacking. So that way you'll be informed yourself as opposed to just reading a post somewhere without not doing your own research. So I encourage all of you and including our participants, do your own research. Don't just listen to somebody else's message. Do your own research, figure it out and come to your own conclusion about it. But regardless of how it got here, it's here and it's real and we need to be very aware of it and be very health conscious. Mm -hmm. And what do you think are some ways that as practitioners, as well as those who are non-practitioners can help with um, helping you balance kind of like all of this content because you really thrive on the content. I don't even want to say thrive, but they get a lot of energy from the content that they receive on, on social media. You know, you can tell them, hey, you don't need to, don't need to be in and out. You, I mean, you have to be mindful that one, you could be a carrier and you don't want to um, potentially uh, um, infect someone else, but it's how do you have those conversations in a, in a meaningful way when you know, when you, when you personally know that you're competing with the content that's out there. Does that make sense? Yeah. That makes sense. Yeah. So for me, I, I don't, you know, dismiss a lot of their, information or misinformation they're getting. I just try to elaborate on it a little bit more mm -hmm. just to give them uh, another frame of thought. Because um, the last thing I would want to do is, you know, dismiss um, any notion of what information is being put out there. I just like to, you know, lay other things across the table so that way it's not just one entity that you're reviewing. So that way you can you'll have more 
you'll have a multi, multiple of things that you can refer to. Um, as far as practitioners and non-practitioners getting to the youth, the same way they're finding this information, go to social media and start debunking a lot of this misinformation. So that way the youth can see, hey, there's information being put out here, but here's a doctor or here's somebody who works there who's seen this on the front line. Start putting this stuff, this stuff out there because if we want the youth to hear us, we have to come to a level where they communicate and where they communicate right now is through social media. Right. Can I That's add to that? Um, anything else you want to kind of share with that, Gail? Yes, I want to add to that too. So um, I have, I'm using a similar approach, but my approach is a little different too when it comes to the, the misinformation and, you know, those theories that's out there. Um, some have been quite alarming to me. Um, I know that one was just the whole, you know, black folks can't get it. And that was something that many believed and just based their behavior on the belief right. that it, we were, I guess, you know, immune to COVID-19. And so I just gave, I give genuine reactions to my, 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 my participants. Um, mm -hmm. I show that concern of, I want you to be safe. You know, I want you to be okay. And I'm just concerned because here are the facts. So I am giving a little education too about here are the facts and then trying to teach them how to do it like a digital detox. A digital, <laughs> a digital detox. I need one of those. <laughs> okay, right. And let me tell you, honestly, this age group to this population, they're not going to debate about the need for that, right? right. They know that it's consuming. They know that sometimes it increases those symptoms. They become more anxious. They feel it afterwards. How did you feel when you detox for two days? They can, they can state a difference in symptomology. They oh, wow. weren't comparing themselves to anyone. They weren't comparing themselves to, you know, their past. I mean, it's just, you know, it has this, this total effect. So digital detoxing right now, I'm kind of using that as an intervention. And then <laughs> showing a real concern, like, I am just really concerned about that, you know? So and then they get it because they know we care. Oh, so well, that's fantastic. And so we got a question. And I, and I guess both of you will probably be best ways to answer it. So the question is, what aspects of youth culture behavior are doing more harm than good, but society calls it normal or okay? Is this relating to the, the current state of affairs or is it just in general? Um, I'm going to assume that it's related to the current state of affairs, so I'm going to repeat the question. What aspects of youth culture or behavior are doing more harm than good, but society calls it normal or okay? Mm. Mm, that's an interesting question. It, it is a good question. <laughs> um, one of the things I can recognize is how the youth have this uh, mistrust um, for a lot of, um, I want to say, government entities or whatnot. Mm -hmm. um, when it comes to this issue, um, you know, the conspiracy things are out there rampant. Um, but I, I feel like one of the things that we normalize with, um, with youth when as far as this is coming to this particular instance is, is really our, our, our feeling that you know, since this has been dubbed as a disease that's getting older people, um, I feel like the youth are being normalized as people that can't get affected because of their mm. age. And I feel like it's being normalized that, you know, hey, it's, it's affecting a certain group of people, some youth are okay, but then we're seeing stories and we're hearing things that, no, it's affecting everybody. It's not um, no age discrimination when it comes to this COVID-19. So I just feel like the youth are normalizing this, this theory in their head that it's affecting older people and not just them. So it's causing them to react carelessly and still carry on doing things and carrying on the, the social aspects of their life that could potentially be hazardous to them. Very good answer. Is there another question you can answer? Oh, okay. So we're at 11.57. Okay. So we're like at the tail end of today's podcast. 
And so normally what we do for our Woke Moments podcast is that we leave the audience with something to think about, whether um, it's a positive reflection or just a general reflection. And so what would you like to share with our audience about your Woke Moment? What do you want to leave with your Woke Moment? And we normally say, my Woke Moment is. Okay. All right. I love it. I love it. So <laughs> this is just going to be, you know, it's an integration of the season right now, this COVID-19 pandemic and just what I've learned um, just in my living. Right. So my woke moment is knowing that uncertainty is only disguised as affliction, but its true nature is to remind me that I cannot be successful alone. I need a healthy community of loving people to support and refine me. That's my woke oh, moment. that's fantastic. And you, Jeremy? Uh, I would say my woke moment is negativity is not real. Um, positive energy is the only energy. Every negative aspect, every negative aspect you can think of of you, there is a very large hint of positivity in there. Um, perfect example. Before we go, I recommend everybody watch the Jordan documentary. Um, it was, he said a very key thing about why he was so competitive that just raised my antennas. Um, he said that he was so competitive was because his relationship with his brother and his father. He said that it traumatized him that his father would always choose his older brother, Larry, over him. And he felt like he wasn't getting that same love. So he turned that traumatic experience into a competitive nature that has allowed him to be one of the most successful people in the history of this planet. So I just want to leave that to say, do not allow mental illness or trauma to directly take away your positive energy because it's always there. Excuse me. Thank you so much. I mean, that's been absolutely fantastic. I want to thank our listening and viewing audience for joining us today on this very important topic, COVID-19 and our youth and young adults. I do want to express to the audience, please um, like all of Sanctuary of Hope web, web, I mean, social media pages on Instagram and Facebook. We're uh, at Sanctuary of Hope LA. On Twitter, we're at the underscore SOH underscore LA. And we're doing some amazing things with helping young people to build and tap into their resiliency during this COVID period. And also want to invite you to visit our website as well, which is www.thesoh.org. I want to thank you for joining us again, and we are tuning out. Feel free to connect with us at any time. And thank you, Gail, and thank you, Jeremy. Thank, thank you. you, Ms. Kelly. <laughs> thank you. <laughs> thank you for listening to Woke Moment. For more information about our organization, please visit thesoh.org. Subscribe to us for a woke moment wherever you listen to podcasts. Follow us on Twitter at the underscore SOH underscore LA and on Facebook and Instagram at Sanctuary of Hope LA. Why God?